Welcome to the 230th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Christina Alger, author of the new thriller novel, The Banker's Wife. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Christina Alger, author of the new financial thriller novel, The Banker's Wife. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, can you read a couple of pages of your new novel, The Banker's Wife? Sure. I will start with the prologue, so the first couple pages. At London RAF North Holt Airport, very few planes were cleared for takeoff. The crosswinds were strong, and the downpour of sleet reduced visibility to nil. There was only one runway at North Holtz and the congestion of private planes looking to use it. It was 6 a.m. The crowd of passengers in the waiting area was small but impatient. Most were businessmen who had morning meetings in Paris, Luxembourg, Berlin. Some were booked on flights chartered by their corporations. A few owned their jets outright. These were not men who liked to wait. A Russian named Popov was making a scene. He yelled alternately at the woman behind the front desk and at someone on the other end of his phone. Neither person was giving him the answer that he was looking for, so he toggled between them, the volume of his voice rising until he could be heard clear across the terminal. His female companion, a bored willowy blonde in a fox fur coat and sneakers, stared at her phone. She seemed accustomed to his rages. Everyone else was looking at Popov. Papers lowered, passengers turned to stare. At six feet four and at least 280 pounds, Alexei Popov was hard to miss, particularly when he was angry. I understand, sir, the woman at the front desk said again, trying to remain professional in the face of his verbal barrage. And I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but for safety reasons, we must advise. Popov cursed in Russian and threw his phone. The woman behind the desk ducked and two security guards walked briskly over to see about the fuss. Even the blonde was paying attention now. She took Popov by the arm and whispered something in his ear, attempting to calm him. Thomas Jensen sat in the corner of the terminal, watching the scene with mild interest from behind a fresh copy of the Financial Times. Like other passengers present that morning, Jensen wore a well-tailored suit and carried a briefcase. With his neatly combed silver hair and expensive loafers, Jensen looked like what he was, an Oxford graduate and a back- with a background in finance and a robust bank account. Unlike most of the other passengers, however, Jensen was not a financier or a captain of industry. Though he was at Northolt on business, it was a very different sort. He worked for a government agency in a capacity that only few people knew existed. The only external indication that Jensen's work was not a desk job, but rather a dangerous and occasionally violent enterprise, was the distinctive crook in his nose from where it had once been broken. Though he had suffered worse injuries, Jensen's nose still gave him trouble. For that reason, he always kept a monogrammed handkerchief in his pocket. He removed it now and wiped his nose with it while keeping a discreet eye on the other passengers in the waiting area. Because of the fuss over Popov, Jensen was the only person who noticed when a man and woman crossed the terminal quickly and slipped out of the exit door onto the tarmac. Jensen stood, put his handkerchief back in his pocket, and ambled over to the window. He studied the woman's slight figure, her shoulders hunched against the wind, her hair wrapped up Jackie Onassis-like in a black scarf that protected it from the rain. The man was well-built and a head taller than the woman. When the man turned, Jensen noticed his tortoiseshell glasses and his salt-and-pepper hair. The man put his hand protectively on the woman's shoulder as they boarded a Gulfstream G450. Theirs was the biggest and most expensive plane at Northolt on that particular morning. The news would later report that it was being flown by an exceptional pilot. 
Omar Khoury had spent a decade in the Royal Saudi Air Force before going into private employ. He was a true seasoned professional, professional, unlikely to be phased by the suboptimal flying conditions. Almost as soon as the plane's doors had shut, it was cleared for takeoff. Popov was still yelling about the delay when the G-450 taxied down the runway and disappeared into the sky. Once the plane was in the air, Jensen folded his paper in half and tucked it beneath his arm. He walked past Popov, past the front desk, and out of the terminal. A town car was waiting for him at the curb. His phone rang as soon as the car turned onto the A-40 towards London. It's done, Jensen said. Only one flight departed, and they were on it. He hung up, unfolded his paper, and read it in silence for the duration of the ride. Less than one hour later, the G-450 lost contact. Somewhere over the French Alps, it simply fell off the radar as though it had never existed at all. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about The Banker's Wife yet, how would you describe your new novel? So I would say it is a financial thriller. It's an international thriller that as uh, follows the uh, widow of Matthew Warner, who's a private Swiss banker who's aboard the plane you just heard about, who the wreckage of which will be found in the Alps shortly. And she is she goes out in search of answers as to what happened to her husband. And the other female protagonist is Marina Torneau, who's a journalist who is sort of digging into the bank that Matthew works for. And do you remember the original idea that led you to writing The Banker's Wife? Yeah, I've always been, I'm a little bit of a financial news nerd, um, and I've always been fascinated by offshore banks. And so when the Panama Papers uh, came out, which was a data leak that came out of a Panamanian law firm that serviced offshore banks, I just became fascinated by that case and the sort of political implications of that case. And so that was sort of my, the spark of inspiration for this book. Well, in addition to writing novels, you, you've also worked as a financial analyst and a corporate attorney. Uh, when you were working those jobs, were you secretly writing fiction in your free time? <laughs> I was. Well, I was. You know, I, The Darlings, um, I wrote entirely when I was a lawyer, so I was secretly <laughs> writing that. Um, it was kind of, you know, for me, it was really a, a passion project, and it was a hobby. At the time, I was traveling a lot for work, and I I, I have two kids now. I did not have kids then, so I had a little bit more free time on my hands. But it was just something I did for fun. Um, it's sort of a creative release, and then it turned into now my job. <laughs> so, so what's the writing process like for you? Did you write an extensive outline for the banker's wife? So it's funny, you know, I I've issued outlining in the past just because this is something I've done for fun, and so I find outlining a little bit boring, and I love the writing part of it, so I always want to get right into it, but. This, this book I did plot out pretty carefully because I knew sort of where I wanted it to start and where I wanted it to end. And I, you know, I think thrillers require a little bit of planning, um, or at least maybe if you're a better thriller writer than I, you can do it by the seat of your pants. But I, I really wanted to execute all the sort of twists and turns well. So I outlined it pretty carefully. And um, I was glad that I did because it made the writing a lot less painful. Sure. Well, you mentioned your your fascination with offshore banking. Uh, did you find yourself having to do a lot of research as you were writing the novel? I did. Um, you know, I did 
I, honestly, I had to sort of stop myself from doing research because I think at a certain point you, you know, you kind of lose the reader if you cram in too much of your background research into the text. Um, but I did do research. I wanted it to feel authentic and I really wanted to understand myself, the sort of mechanics of offshore banking. So I did do a lot of research, um, but it was fun research. I found it all completely fascinating. And what do you think most people who, who may be listening or the general public are not familiar with offshore banking? Well, I think, you know, I mean, what blew my mind is how big offshore banking is. I mean, it's trillions and trillions of dollars is held in these sort of numbered accounts offshore. Um, and, you know, it's sort of unregulated. It's people aren't, you know, there are no names attached to these accounts. So people can kind of hide money in these offshore accounts. And I was just surprised by the volume of money um, that is offshore. It's really like a secondary economy. And it has, you know, really far reaching implications politically, economically, you know, sort of across the world. So I was really stunned by how big it was. And when we say offshore, are these banks affiliated with with some country, correct? I mean, would that yes. mostly be Swiss? So Yes, exactly. So, I mean, they're they're usually in um, they're domiciled in places that don't have very stringent banking laws. So um, that's, you know, the Swiss banks are, you know, I think probably the best known. Obviously, the Cayman Islands obviously has a lot of offshore banks. Um, I sort of chose to set the book in Switzerland just because I think Swiss banks are, you know, kind of the quintessential offshore bank. And um, I also spent um my my i have family in geneva so i know geneva pretty well so i felt comfortable writing a book based there great well um i know that you're on a media tour now for the banker's wife but are you working on a new novel i am working on a new novel um although i've sort of put it on pause because the these couple of weeks are a little crazy with the book tour but um but yes i'm working on um just a Thriller, thriller, no finance angle um, about a series of interconnected murders that take place on Long Island. Um, so it's fun. It's um, I'm I spent a lot of time in Long Island, um, so it's it's kind of fun because I get to take my kids around to different remote places that are actually novel research for me and pretend that we're going on family outings. <laughs> well, well, given your your writing and your your publishing experience at this point, what advice would you have for aspiring writers? Well, I, I always say three things. I always say, you know, read as much as you can and read outside your genre. Um, I think when you're reading kind of masters in their craft, you're always learning. Um, so I'm always grateful when people push me to read writers that I wouldn't ordinarily read um, because I, you know, I typically learn something. Um, I love going to book signings and book talks because I, I tend to learn things as well, both about the craft of writing and just, you know, how to present your work. And I'm always happy I went whenever I push myself to go hear a writer talk. Um, and, you know, and then the last thing I always tell people is, you know, just finish a draft. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, say, oh, I have 10 pages of something or I want to write, but I can't find the time. And if you can finish a full draft of a book, you're pretty far ahead of the game. And, you know, there are a lot of agents and editors out there who are hungry for finished material. So I always encourage people to just keep chipping away, even if they're, you know, it takes forever. I know it sometimes feels like rolling a boulder up a hill, but um, it can be done. What books have you read recently, fiction or nonfiction, that that um, made an impact on you and that you would recommend? 
Oh my goodness. Um, how long do you have? Well, I, <laughs> I so I've I've read a bunch of really great books recently. Um, I think um I I love true crime also, and two of the best books I've read recently are true crime. Um, one's Killer of Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran, which is fantastic. And then I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara are both um I just mind blowing true crime reads that sort of read like fiction, um, which I loved. Um, and then in terms of um, fiction, um, I just finished a book called The Darkest Time of Night by Jeremy Finley, which is a debut thriller, which has sort of a sci-fi twist to it, which I typically do not like science fiction, but I loved this book. I couldn't put it down. So that was a great read. Um, and you know what? I I always go back and reread classic writers like John Grisham and Nelson DeMille, and I can never... I, I'm never sorry when I return to those sort of old classics. So I read a lot of those too. Great. Well, if people are interested in learning more about you, where can they find you online? I am I am online. Um, <laughs> I, I'm uh, Christina Alger. It's Christina without an H. Um, everyone spells it wrong. Uh, ChristinaAlger.com. And I'm on, you know, all the sort of social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, so you can find me there. And The Banker's Wife is out now. So it's, you know, wherever books are sold. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Christina Alger, author of the new financial thriller novel, The Banker's Wife. So go grab a copy today. And Christina, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.